0: All right, John 16, starting with verse number 23, the Bible says, And in that day ye shall ask me nothing, verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall ask, the Father in my name he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name, ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father." At that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and I believe that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and am come into into the world. Again I leave the world, and go to the Father. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now thou speakest plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now we are sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God." Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Again, we thank you for all your many blessings. Lord, as we come before you now, Lord, just as these disciples could do nothing without you, Lord, neither can we. Father, we need you desperately, Lord God, every hour of every day. And I pray, dear Lord, a special anointing now. I pray that you'd fill us, meet with us, and help us, dear God, to preach your word, as it is absolutely vain if you are not in it. Lord, meet with us now, dear God. Hinder all the work of the devil. Speak to that heart that may be lost tonight, and draw them unto you. And Father, we'll just thank you and praise you, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we look here again, starting at verse 23, verse 23. Given the background here in John 16, Jesus is just about to Calvary, uh, just about to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane there. He is going to be arrested in a very short period of time. He's going to be taken and they're going to uh, uh, bear him a false trial. They're going to crucify him. We know uh, what follows after that, but at this point, he is getting ready to depart from his disciples. They had not uh, they had not yet been without him and they have no power within themselves. The Holy Spirit has not yet come. He's not yet descended upon them and it doesn't happen until uh, the day of Pentecost that we look at. So so they, uh, Jesus knows that there's going to be a time of helplessness. There's going to be a time of fear there. There's going to be some things uh, that they're going to f- uh, worry about there and some things that they're going to deal with that they had not had to deal with uh, while he was present. Now as he's getting ready to leave there he goes on to tell them it's expedient or it is beneficial for them that he should go there because the Holy Spirit that comforter, the uh, the Greek word parakletes, the one that runs alongside them was going to come there and was going to fill them and going to be with them and enable them to do uh, what they could not do on their own. And that was a benefit for them uh, because Jesus as He came, though though He was the Son of God, yet He limited Himself in, in some senses in humanity. He was limited in the fact that He was not omnipresent when He was here. He could not be in every place at one time. Though He knew everything, He was still humanly restricted uh, in, in the flesh there. But when He ascended to the Father, when He was glorified and that Holy Spirit would come, that full power would be given unto Him. Now Jesus begins in these verses. From from verse twenty three down through verse number twenty eight there, Jesus begins to deal with the subject of prayer. The subject of prayer, in any way that we see it throughout Scripture, anywhere that we study it throughout Scripture, is an inexhaustible subject. One Christian said this, and I have to agree with him, said every failure is a prayer failure. One of the areas, uh, one of the things that is the most convicting to me personally in my life, one of the areas I fail at the most uh, repeatedly uh, when it comes to Christian life is the area of prayer, how much more we could pray, how much better we could pray, how much stronger we could pray, and what we don't realize we're missing out on. Friends, many of us, we've heard the saying and many of us have probably said it before. We get into a situation, things are tough, and we come and we say, well, all we can do now is pray. Friends, that should have been our first response. If we realize that prayer, as a Christian, prayer is the most powerful tool we have. It is is the strongest weapon we have in the arsenal of uh, of Christianity there. If we realize that and realized what prayer truly was, friends, it would not be our last resort, it would be our first. Prayer Hudson Taylor said this, Prayer is conducting business with God. When we come here and we see what Jesus is talking about, He is not uh, preaching a name it and claim it doctrine. This is something that many times is taken and twisted out of context. He's not talking about, you, you know, if you want that Ferrari, you just ask for it and God will give it to you. That's not what He's saying here. But what He's talking about when He says, if you pray in My name, what He means by that is if you pray in My will, he is talking about being in obedience and being in accordance with God there. Being in that on that same page, so to speak, there. One heart with the Lord Jesus Christ there. And what he is telling them there, what these verses are speaking about, especially verse 23 and verse 24 there, uh, is it constituted a new teaching on prayer there. And that was through, again, uh, Jesus Christ being the mediator or the medium there between man and God the Father. Remember, when, when Adam sinned, Fellowship between God the Father and man was broken. Right? There was a gap that could not be bridged there. There was a a, a a fault there that could not be reached. Sinful man could not reach high enough up to the holiness of God. And a holy God could not, without having to condemn, could not reach down to the lowliness of man there. That's where we get our mediator Christ when He came there. And He said, I've come, think it's not that I've come to destroy the law. I've not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. When he, what He meant when He said that was the holiness that that law demanded, those perfect. Ten Commandments and every command there that was in there Christ came to fulfill those and honor the holiness of God's side there and yet He came to be the penalty uh, the propitiation that He came to be that sin there uh, and pay that sin debt to be on man's side there He was going to bridge a gap and He was going to reach down through His grace there and through being that substitute there that sacrificial death on Calvary He was going to grab a hold of that sinful hand of man there and lift them up and He was going to grab a hold of that holy hand of God there and bring the two together. He was going to mediate in between them there. And friends, what he is talking about is once a person is saved and that relationship is restored there between God and man and that power is given back there and that fellowship is allowed there, what he is talking about is the full access that we have through that prayer. Many times we take it for granted and we don't understand what we really have when it comes to being saved there. Friends, being saved, though heaven is absolutely unimaginable, it is something that we can't fully comprehend. This side of eternity, our human mind is limited in it. Being saved there, friends, heaven is, that's the finished product. That's the end of it. But that's not where we're supposed to dwell. That's not the only benefit of being saved tonight. That's not the that that's the that's the culmination and that's the pinnacle that's the ultimate uh, achievement there when we get to pass on uh, from this old sin cursed world and be in the presence of a holy God there where there's no pain and there's no sorrow and there's no death and there's no separation and there's no sin that the very presence of sin is gone that's the culmination of it but it doesn't mean that's the extent of it that's the whole thing friends when we look at it today being saved is something that should be enjoyed this side of eternity also Amen. if you are saved today your sins are paid for hey. just as when you think i love one of my favorite studies in all of scriptures that old testament tabernacle i absolutely love that tabernacle there it is it is one of the most perfect types of christ in all of scripture but in that tabernacle you had three areas you had the outer court that speaks of john chapters one through third chapter number 11 that's the public or chapter number 12 excuse me that's the public ministry you had the inner court, which is where the priest went to minister there. And they would go in and they would fellowship one with another. They'd have that, uh, the, that table of showbread there, that bread being a type of the body of Christ there. What is it that we fellowship over? What is it that nourishes us? It's Christ. And those priests there, friends, you and I have been made kings and priests. We've been brought around that table there. Uh, that inner court there speaks of that salvation there. But that holy of holies, that next there that uh, was separated by that veil, that veil was hung up there and only the high priest could go in and only one time a year he had to have blood when he came in there otherwise he'd be struck dead. That represented the presence of God. That was the holiness of God there. And no man could go through that veil unless they were that high priest and unless they had that blood and unless it was the right day until Jesus came. And when Jesus came and hung on that cross and the Bible says that that veil was torn and was rent Literally split in half from top down to bottom, signifying from God down to man. That veil was torn apart. It showed that there is access into the throne room of grace right now. Friends, you and I today, we do not have to go to some priest and ask them to pray on our behalf. If you came to me and said, Preacher, pray for me, I'd be glad to. That's a privilege and a part of the ministry I enjoy. Uh, I love praying for people, but uh, I can't forgive your sins any any more than the next person can. I have no power as far as that goes. I am simply uh, a mediator there, simply stand uh, as a, a spokesman for God is a better term than a mediator. Simply a spokesman uh, that God God can speak through, but I have no power within myself. It is all Him there. He is the one who gives us that access that we can go directly into the presence of God, that we can come right into the throne room of grace, that we can gather around the feet of Jesus just as Mary did, and we can spend time with Him. Friends, that's what God has allowed us there. I think about that veil. That veil is a type of the body of Christ. That veil, it's been said, Jewish scholars will tell you, reading behind it, that that veil was so strong that you could literally hook a horse on opposite sides and they could go the, and, and send them the opposite direction and it would not tear it. It, it, was, it was woven together so tight that it took a multitude of men to be able to hang this veil there uh, because of the weight of it and how thick it was and how uh, strong it was there. And yet uh, it could not be torn, it couldn't be pierced through, but God Himself took His hand and stretched that thing down there. When the body of Jesus Christ was broken, When He was hung on that cross there and He gave that body for you and I, friends, when He gave Himself willingly in death, He gave access to you and I today and we're allowed to come into the very presence of grace. Friends, when we think about what prayer uh, gives us there, what it affords us there, friends, uh, we think about the promise of prayer. In verse number 23 again, praying in my name there refers to being in the will of God. You say, preacher, how do we know we're praying in the will of God? First of all, it lines up with the Word of God. I've had people come up and say, Preacher, is this the will of God? And and I've asked them, i said, Does it it anywhere contradict Scripture? Well, I I don't know. If it contradicts the Word of God, you can guarantee it is not the will of God. God will never contradict His own Word. But that Word of God there says, If you ask anything in my name, if you ask it according to when we're close to God, when we're in fellowship with God, When we are praying the way we're supposed to and we're uh, studying the way we're supposed to, when we're reading uh, His Word, that Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against Thee. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We read in the book of Ephesians there uh, that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit there. It's our only offensive weapon there. Friends, that Word there is what keeps us in the will of God. It's what keeps our heart right with God. And when we're right in His Word, we'll desire the things that God desires. It's like feeding on that fruit, uh, that spiritual food there. It strengthens us. It helps us there. It guides us and gives us that nourishment that we need there. Uh, friends, He says, when you pray in My name there, uh, ask anything in My name, it shall be given to you. And again, verily, verily, listen up there. Uh, Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in My name, He will give it to you. He will give it to you. That's a promise from God. When we are praying according to the will of God, He will answer it. When we are praying for the work of God. He will answer it. That doesn't mean we get everything we want. We think about it in the book of Acts. There, with Paul, a great example there: the Macedonian call. Paul had a desire to go one direction. God said, "No, no, I want you in another one. I want you in another direction." Friends, the, the chapter we've been studying the last several weeks in in the book of Philippians, uh, the city of Philippi was in that mass. It was a part of that Macedonian call. That great call that was being done in the city of Ephesus where uh, we read about the, the school of a man by the name of Tyrannius, there where Paul stayed uh, for two years and preached for a long period of time and many churches were built there and many churches were added to there uh, because of that place. All of that was a part of that Macedonian call there according to God's will. When we look at those things, He said, if you pray in My name the promise, but we also see the purpose in verse number 24 there where it says, Hitherto, Have ye asked nothing in my name? Get a hold of that for just a minute. The disciples have spent three and a half years with Christ. They have walked with Him. They have gone out and performed miracles for Him. They have been a witness to, uh, several of them witnessed the transfiguration. They have been with Him from the start. And yet Jesus says hitherto up to this point, have ye asked nothing in my name? What he is saying is they have not even realized the power of prayer yet. They have not utilized that prayer yet. And we look at several things. Uh, just I want to look and point out just a couple things that prayer afforded the disciples after the departure of Christ, after the ascension of Christ and the, and the uh, appearing of the Holy Spirit there. When we look at the, the day of Pentecost, in, in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 14, it talks about prayer was the catalyst for that, that, that day there. It says, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with women and Mary the mother of Jesus with the brethren there. With prayer they prayed there and it brought down uh, that great Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, rested upon them uh, like His cloven tongues is what the Bible says. When we look at the revival that broke out in Jerusalem there in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 down through 48, we won't read it for the sake of time there, but again, uh, Peter prayed there and he preached and thousands were saved at one time there. We look about, uh, we see there... The lame man that was healed. We see that he sat at the gate, beautiful, and begged. There begged alms there. Peter and we see Peter and John walking into the temple at that time, and they said that he began to beg there. And Peter looked at him and said, "Silver and gold have I none." But in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk there, praying in the name of Christ there. Again, according to the will of God, that that lame man was lifted up off his feet and healed and was able to go and to shout with Peter and John into the very temple there and praise Him. Uh, We look at Peter being released from prison. Here he is chained between two guards in Acts chapter 12 there. Here he is uh, awaiting his death the next day, asleep between the two guards. And it says prayer was made without ceasing means they continued on. They would not stop praying until they got an answer. Friends, when was the last time we prayed with that kind of burden? Many of us. I guarantee, as a matter of fact, I'll take it as far as to say every one of us in here knows somebody that if they took their last breath right now, they'd die and go to hell. And yet, when was the last time we pleaded with God to save them? The Bible says in Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. When was the last time we prayed so earnestly tears streamed down our face? When was the last time we were so burdened for something that we prayed with such a broken heart that we said, Lord, I'm not getting up until I get an answer. You say, oh, preacher, we can't talk to God like that. Friends, we ought to talk to God like that. Amen. We ought to come. Uh, there was a woman that was praying there, and uh, the pastor was talking to her, and she said, Pastor, I, I don't get any of my prayers answered. He said, well, when you pray, do you expect God to answer? She said, oh, I don't expect God to do anything. He said, there's your problem. Right. When we pray their faith, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When we come in there and we plead with God to answer our prayers there, do we mean business? Are we serious about it? They prayed so earnestly that an angel came down, we know the story, and struck Peter and woke him up. Literally picked him up from between those two guards. Walked him out of that jail cell, through the gates, and out of the city. Friends, that's, that's... the same God he's not changed Jesus Christ the same yesterday today and forever is what Hebrews 13 and verse number 5 says our prayer ought to be that that uh, powerful our prayer ought to be that determined we've got the same access that Peter had that James had that John had Uh, friends we've got the same privilege to be able to go into the throne room of grace there Uh, whether or not we take advantage of it is the difference we look at Acts chapter 16 there I love Acts 16, with that Philippian jailer. Here it is, that jailer, a cold-hearted man. Uh, they had just beaten Paul and Silas. I mean, they had beaten them within an inch of their life. They had beaten them to where they were just bloodied and, and took them and chained them in the stockade. That's uh, Again, the Philippian jails, it wasn't like we see on, on... It's not like jails we have today. It was literally a dungeon that was dug in the ground. No lights, cold, damp, dark. And here they are chained in the, in the stock. They're, they're chained literally. Their feet are chained. They're, they're stuck in there as the worst of worst criminals. And instead of complaining, here they are praising God, singing songs and hymns unto Him. And all of a sudden, uh, through prayer, that earthquake shakes and busts those chains loose. The gates fling wide open so much so that that guard got up. And when he saw those doors open, he drew that sword getting ready to kill himself. You say, Preacher, why would he do that? Because by Roman law, if you lost those prisoners, you paid for it with your own life. Here he is thinking it's over and he'd rather die by his own hand than to be tortured. Here he is about to take his life there. And Paul stops him and tells him all about Jesus. And here's this Philippian jailer. His heart is changed. He takes Paul and Silas, cleans up their wounds, feeds them, and ends up accepting Christ, him and his family. Friends, that's what prayer can do today. Amen. It can save the lowest of the low. And it can get a hold of the most vile. And you say, preacher, how do you know that? Because I'm standing here as living evidence before you. Yeah. Somebody cared enough to pray about me when I wasn't worth praying for. And God's grace came down and saved me. Friends, I'm telling you, that lost love one you've been praying for, keep on doing it. Don't stop praying there. We have access into the very throne room of God. And God, the the, the hand of God, can turn the heart of man, no matter how hard that heart is. God can work and God can break and God can, uh, can witness. I remember being young. I did not care anything about church. I hated church. I didn't want anything to do with it. I remember going one day just simply to get a family member off my back. I figured if, they, if I will go, if you will shut up. And they kept saying, come to church with me, come to church with me. I thought, goodness gracious. Little did I know God was working. And boy, through prayer and through the, the, the grace of God and that power of God's hand, he was turning my heart. It was a hard heart. But He was turning and showing me just how much He loved me. Friends, uh, God's grace there, the fact that He has a purpose in that thing there, He, he told them there uh, that they had yet, not yet asked anything, that he, hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. I wonder how many of us, when we get to heaven, are going to look and God's going to say, you didn't ask a single thing in my name. Yeah, we asked for God to bless us with this or, or bless us with that. But we... I wonder how many of us will stand before God never having pleaded for the soul of a lost person. Never having wept over the burden of seeing God really move. Never having truly prayed for revival and for stirring of hearts and the saving of lives and the changing of homes, their friends. The Welsh Revival, hundreds of thousands of people that were saved, it started with four people that had a burden and would not stop praying. Four people! And hundreds and thousands are converted. Friends, I'm telling you, it's the same God. And it's the same power that we have in prayer today. If we would pray, they said, Henceforth, have ye asked nothing in my name there. Friends, God help us to get a burden about that thing. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. Now we've seen that phrase just a couple of times. A couple chapters back, that your joy may be full. In, in John 15, where Christ tells him, He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. Except ye abide in me, ye can do nothing. But he goes on to talk about bearing much fruit there, and that bearing much fruit and that bringing joy there, that, that your joy may be full. Where does that come from? It comes from abiding in Christ. Not just prayer, but spending time with the Lord Jesus there. Abiding in Him, fellowshipping with Him, surrendering to His will, asking, uh, uh, Father, not my will, but Thine be done. Asking for God to use us. That's what it means to abide. Not just to read a chapter, not just to say a prayer, not just to come to church to say you've been there, but truly spending time with God. Let me give you an example. When you talk about a husband and wife, you sit on the couch together. But if one's got one phone and the other's got another phone, and you're not looking, you're not talking to each other, you're not abiding. You may be in the same room, but you're not abiding. Okay, Many of us can come to church and you're looking at your watch and you're thinking, all right, if preacher hurries up, we can beat the line. We can get to the restaurant before anybody else. Friends, that's not abiding with God. You're, you're, you, you, you might as well stay home. But if we're coming there and we're saying, Lord, I want something from you. Lord, I want to learn a little bit more about You. Lord, I, You know I've got a burden on my heart. Lord, you, you know I have a need in my life. Lord, I want to come and just dwell with You there. When we abide in Christ, when we spend time with Him, then our joy can be full of friends. You realize today this world is chasing around happiness and will never get a hold of it. Because joy comes only from the Lord. And remember, there's a big difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is circumstantial. You can wake up in the morning and be happy that you have your favorite breakfast and get to work and realize you got a pink slip and that happiness is gone. Joy is deeply rooted in the heart and it only belongs to the Christian. You think about the ocean. right? When that tempest comes out and that storm rages on top of that ocean, yet the water at the bottom is calm. Why? Because it's deeply rooted. It can't be affected by that storm on the top. Christ... That that joy, that faith, that peace, that hope we have, when it is deeply rooted in our heart, the storm that rages outside, yes, it can shake some things, but no, it will not take our joy. That's when we know we're walking with God. That's when we know we're abiding with God. There, When we know that that joy is right where we're supposed to be. Friends, the promise of prayer, the purpose of prayer... Last of all, tonight, very quickly, verses 27-28, the prestige from prayer. Look at verse 27 there. Talking to the saved, For the Father Himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and have believed that I came from God. Oh man, this gets a hold of me. For the Father Himself loveth you. You realize today if you are saved, that God Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, loves you with the same intense love that he loves the Lord Jesus Christ with. You realize that if you are saved today, there is nothing you could do to make God love you anymore. Nothing you could do could increase the love that God has for you. It is an agape love. Friends, even if you're lost today, the Bible tells us in Romans 5 but God commendeth, it means displayed His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, He loves you even if you're lost today. He loves you so much, He gave Christ to die for the lost. There was no man that had earned it. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Friends, what an amazing love tonight. We see the prestige there. The saved in, in verse 28, we see the Son. I came forth from the Father and am coming to the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Friends, in this verse right here, we see the gospel message. We see the incarnation of Christ there. It means He came down and became flesh there. He said, I came from the Father and am coming into the world there. We see the incarnation, we see the crucifixion, where it talks about, it says, "And I leave the world and go to the Father there. Uh, we see the resurrection and we see also the ascension. He came, His incarnation, He came from the Father, dwelt among the world. He said, I leave this world to go to the Father, the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ there. And the ascension when He went up on high. Friends, we see the gospel message tonight. Jesus is not dead. We don't serve an idol. We don't serve someone that's in the ground. Confucius is dead. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Allah is not real. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ, the only true God. And He is alive and well today, friends. Friends, the death, burial, and resurrection, all of it plays out, it, it, they're all co-equal. Without the death of Jesus, you can't have the payment for our sin. Without that burial, you can't have Him taking those sins down into the grave. Without the resurrection, we are hopeless. Paul said, if we, we are of all men most miserable. Without the ascension, right, that ascension was just as important. Remember, he told Mary, he said, he said don't touch me, I've not yet ascended to the Father say preacher why was that important remember when that high priest on the day of atonement when he went into the holy of holies israel the jews did not know if god had accepted that payment until he came back and presented that blood until he came back then they realized that that judgment was passed off for one more year friends when christ rose up there he took that blood and he presented it to god the father and when he came back and he came back glorified Then and only then the disciples knew that God had accepted it. He said, put your fingers inside my hands. Put your hand into my side. He said, it's me. I'm alive and well. Friends, thank God for His grace tonight. We serve a living God today. We serve an awesome God today. Friends, let me ask you something. When you pray, do you pray to a living God today? When you call upon Jesus, are you asking the same One that death had no hold of are you asking the same one that defeated Satan himself to answer your prayers? Or do you come in with the back of your mindset saying, I'm going to fix it myself. I'll ask, but I'll take care of it on my own. Friends, God wants us to pray and to pray expecting something from Him. Let me ask you, as we close, when was the last time you prayed with a burden? Or will you stand before God and Him say, Hitherto, you've asked nothing in my name. I saw standing, I heads bowed and eyes closed.